If you will, please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 70. Psalm 70. As you may know, we are continuing in our series of expositions through the Psalms, preaching through the Psalms one by one, and we are at the 70th Psalm. We're very near uh, to the end of the second book of the five books of the Psalms, and we find ourselves tonight in Psalm 70. So you follow along as I read Psalm 70. To the choir master of David for the memorial offering. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, Aha! Aha! May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Since we've been going through the Psalms, each one, as I said, sermon by sermon, you may or may not remember that Psalm 40, verses 13 to 17, contains almost, with only two very slight variations, the exact same lines of this psalm, which probably means that One of these psalms, probably Psalm 40, verses 13 to 17, were lifted by themselves, those verses, and placed here as a separate psalm for, of course, God's own purposes to encourage his people. So I think it would be good for us to look back at Psalm 40, verses 13 to 17. If indeed you were here when we preached through Psalm 40, you would have heard these words from the whole psalm and particularly what we get from Psalm 70 and verses 13 to 17. Listen to Psalm 40. To the choir master, a psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. 
burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. And then this is exactly, almost, what Psalm 70 verses 1 to 5 says. Listen to verses 13 to 16. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Now, I don't know why the Holy Spirit took verses 13 to 17 out of one psalm and instructed uh, the inspired writer, the psalmist, King David, to put Psalm 70 with those verses into a different psalm, but he did. And as I said, just with a few variations, almost completely identical. And as I thought about Psalm 40, verses 13 to 17, and Psalm 70, verses 1 to 5, and how almost identical they are, I thought to myself, well, these are really, really smart folks I'm preaching to. And they could just as easily go online and listen to Psalm 40. And they might say, is he going to steal his notes from Psalm 40 and just re-preach the same message? And the answer to that is yes and no. Yes, I'm going to talk about Psalm 40, verses 13 to 17, and I'm going to talk about the prayer requests that David gave to the Lord out of verses 13 to 17, but I'm going to do it out of Psalm 70. So just make sure that you stay in Psalm 70 in your Bibles as we go through this, even though these outline points, of course, are identical. However, I want to do something different now that we're in Psalm 70, and it is this. David is talking about in Psalm 40, particularly in that passage, verses 13 to 17, about how his enemies are always dogging his steps and how his prayer requests are asking the Lord to deliver him and to save him. And of course, not just David, but all of Israel as well. 
And of course, we don't have those enemies like David did who are physically dogging every one of our steps and who want to come after us, that is, physically speaking. But we do have enemies. And the enemies, of course, for us are Satan, the world, and even our own remaining sin. And I thought, well, when we go through Psalm 70, because we've already gone through Psalm 40 in detail, we should take these same prayer requests and tonight apply them to ourselves by way of New Testament passages where those New Testament passages are telling us, just like King David does here in Psalm 70, how to fight the greatest enemies of our souls. And those enemies are, of course, Satan, the world, and our own sinfulness. So as we go through these prayer requests of David from Psalm 70, I want you to see that I'm going to go to those New Testament passages that will give us a sense from the catapulting out of David's experience into our own. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Look at these five prayer requests from Psalm 70. Listen to what David prays about and see if you can't relate to these kinds of prayer requests yourself. The first one in verse 1 is this, David's prayer request for deliverance in trouble. David's prayer request for deliverance in trouble. Notice the superscription of Psalm 70, to the choir master, which of course means that David wants him to organize this song in the hearing of the people so that they can sing this psalm. It's to be given to the choir master, and he adds music to it. And when he does, this is a song of the Psalter of Israel by David himself, and it is for the memorial offering. A memorial offering, of course, is to memorialize the idea that God is great, that God is our Savior, that God is our Deliverer, that God helps us, that God is our best advocate, that God will help us against our enemies. And so the first prayer request he gives in verse 1 is this, make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. I think it's interesting to note that when he says, O God, uh, that's of course, a very common word for God in the Hebrew text. But the next reference to God in, at the uh, B portion of verse 1 is, O Lord. And you see it capitalized, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That means that that is the personal name of God, Yahweh. So in verse 1, he's saying, make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Yahweh, lover of your people, Make haste to help me. David's battling against his enemies. He prays that God would continue to protect him and to secure him. David, at times, was running for his life. He's the king of Israel, of course, but in battle, at times, you have to retreat in order to later defeat. And he sees those who are in battle against him and against his people, and he prays that God would continually protect him and secure him. And I say, you and I must pray likewise for God to protect us and secure us from our greatest enemy. And I would say our greatest enemy, of course, is Satan himself. Satan himself. 
And may I hasten to say to you and to my own heart, Satan is deathly real. He's real. He exists. And he's the arch enemy of our souls. You know that. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. You know that. This is what the Apostle Paul says. This is what he tells us about this arch enemy of our souls. We need to be very, very clear what the Word of God tells us is our battleground, what we're up against. And Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, tell us in no uncertain terms who the devil is, what he's about, and how we are supposed to arm ourselves against him. This is just like a New Testament answer to the prayer request of David for deliverance in trouble. This is, this is what we are to do as New Covenant Christians. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Notice, he speaks of the arch enemy of our souls, the schemes of the devil. For, and here's the explanation, that's what the word for gives us, the explanation of what he's just said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Notice what he says about the devil and the array of his minions. Schemes of the devil, verse 11. Rulers, verse 12. Authorities, verse 12. Cosmic powers over this present darkness, verse 12. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, verse 12. That's a power-packed verse, isn't it? There's a lot going on there. All of those, by the way, the idea of rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces are apparently the hierarchy of how Satan and his kingdom works to destroy believers. No wonder he says in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore. Do you notice that four times in just a matter of a few verses... Paul says, stand. Did you notice that? Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against. And then he says, verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm, stand therefore. Four references. Stand, stand, stand. He says, what you must do, what you have to be able to do is stand against and to withstand and to stand firm. And then after you've done that, stand again, right? 
having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, these are our armaments, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith which with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So Satan has schemes, according to verse 11. He is evil along with his spiritual forces, verse 12. And now we're told that he flaming, that, that he, he pelts flaming darts against us as the evil one. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. That means in accordance with the Spirit, in the will of the Spirit, according to the plan of the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Boy, is that a, a panoply of, of descriptions and details and aspects of the armor of God that are absolutely critical for us, including our prayers. Did you notice that? Praying at all times, verse 18, in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying, praying at all times in the Spirit, prayer and supplication, and making supplication. He's just stacking up the terms about prayer so that you and I as New Covenant believers can say that's exactly what David was talking about in Psalm 40 and in Psalm 70. Praying, praying, praying. And that's what David prayed. Hasten to me. Hasten to me, Lord. Come to me. That's what we ought to say. That's how we pray. I mean, when you are assaulted with satanic temptation, what do you do? How do you respond? Do you pray? Is that your default response to satanic temptation? Pray. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Keeping alert with all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. And do you put your armor on? I mean, these assaults come. And they come in droves. And they are all intended to be like fiery darts from the evil one. This is, this is not just praying. It's praying and being ready. And standing and, and withstanding. And standing against. And standing firm. And, and standing again. And, and praying. This is, this is what we're all about. We, we understand the spiritual battle. I mean, as, as believers, are we cognizant enough of who our enemy is? Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'll tell you who the enemy is, and I'll tell you that it seems to me that at times Christians fail to understand the schemes of the devil. You say, well, I don't even want anything to do with the devil. I don't, know, I don't want to know about him. I don't want to know his schemes. I don't want to know what he does. I want to be as far away from him as possible. Well, I understand that to a degree, 
We don't want to get uh, involved in Ouija boards and black magic, and uh, we don't want to get as close as we can to all of the chicanery that Satan wants to foist upon us. I understand that part of it. But the Bible actually teaches us that we should know the schemes of the devil. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is an interesting context. It's apparently about a person who has sought forgiveness of the church in Corinth from the Corinthians who are refusing to forgive him. I don't know if this is the context that Paul is referring to when he talks about 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, when he talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when he talks about a man who is having sexual relationship with his father's wife. I don't know if that's the same one, but it could be. There, Paul was chastising the Corinthians because they were allowing it to happen. They were doing nothing about it. And he says, do I have to come and deal with you because you're allowing sexual immorality? Uh, Maybe the idea that someone is having relations with his stepmother and you're not dealing with it? And that means that that person needs to be dealt with because he's wallowing in his sin. He's not doing what he should be doing. And you in the church in Corinth are allowing it to happen. And he says, I may have to come myself and deal with this man because you're not. And how does he deal with him? He says, I may even have to deliver this one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now, I don't know, suppose I know all the implications of what that means, but that sounds hideous to me. And perhaps... If the man in 2 Corinthians 2 is that same man, and many commentators believe he is, perhaps Paul did come or perhaps the Corinthians were beginning to heed Paul's serious admonition and they did deal with the man and perhaps he did stop his immorality and perhaps he was now seeking forgiveness. And apparently the Corinthians, if this is the consistent theme of this man in 1 Corinthians 5 and now in 2 Corinthians 2 and he's seeking forgiveness, perhaps the Corinthians have now swung to the other side of the pendulum and have now refused to forgive him. The first, they were allowing him to do what he was doing in his immorality and now that he's seeking their forgiveness, they're refusing to grant it. And if that's the case, Paul is severely vexed about their actions or lack of actions. He says in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 2, I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. He's overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. He sought your forgiveness and you're refusing to grant it. He says in verse 9, for this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. That obedience includes forgiving someone who's truly repenting. And perhaps he's even manifested his repentance. He's, He's shown that he's truly asking for your forgiveness. He says in verse 10, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. In other words, he's he's got his arms out wide and saying, please forgive me, please forgive me for my sin, and you're refusing. But if you forgive, so will I. He says, indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. And then notice this, verse 11, so that in this whole matter of forgiveness, 
You, you have to learn biblical forgiveness, and if you do, it's a wonderful thing in the body for the truly repentant, and if you do, it means that we're no longer outwitted by Satan. And then notice this phrase, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We're not ignorant. I fear that there are Christians who are, in fact, ignorant of Satan's designs, his schemes. So what do we do? Well, we know what those designs are because the the Bible tells us what they are. Ephesians 6 is a major passage. 2 Corinthians 2 is a passage that tells us that Satan is all about being like Peter said, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we're not ignorant of his schemes. Christians need to know their God, but they also need to know the schemes of the devil so that they can be not outwitted, but resistant to those schemes. This is, this is a massive prayer request, isn't it? God, deliver me. Satan is more powerful than I am. He can outwit me if I'm not careful, but I have your word. I have your promises. I have your protection. I have your armor. And if you will help me be delivered from his schemes, I will give you all the glory. That's a great prayer request there in Psalm 70. Lord, please deliver me. Here's another prayer request in Psalm 70. Look at verses 2 and 3. This is another very, very important prayer request. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. What's what's the prayer request here? And notice it is a prayer request. Let them, let them, let them. That's That's a wish prayer. That's a prayer of David. Here's his prayer request for God's destruction of Israel's enemies. For God to destroy Israel's enemies. This is what David asks for. He asks God, in addition to the protection and deliverance that he's asked for in verse 1, he's also asking for the destruction of his enemies, who are, in fact, not just his enemies, but also the enemies of God himself. And I would say from our vantage point, the greatest enemy of our souls is Satan. You say, well, if we're not ignorant of his schemes... Uh, what is uh, possibly a common and major scheme of Satan? Well, turn to Revelation chapter 12. I'll show you. Revelation chapter 12. If you want to know what Satan is all about every day of his life, it is this, Revelation chapter 12. You may have not seen this or understood this in the context of this uh, foreboding book of Revelation that seems uh, sometimes very, very difficult to understand, and sometimes Christians stay away from it because they don't understand it. Well, this is something that's clear in Revelation, even if you presume that others, other things aren't. Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse 7 of Revelation 12. And this, of course, is talking, I think, about the beginning of time, or beginning before time actually, now war arose in heaven. Now that, that statement alone is fascinating. 
How could war arise in heaven? But it did. War arose in heaven. Michael, remember Michael the archangel, and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Who is that dragon? That ancient serpent. So that's tied into the Genesis account, right? Who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for, here's the scheme of Satan, for the accuser of our brothers, our brothers and sisters, has been thrown down who accuses them how often? Day and night before our God. You realize that every day of your life, every day and night of your life, there is someone who's accusing you before God? That's what it says. He's accusing the brethren, that accuser, that devil, that Satan, that deceiver, that great dragon, that that ancient serpent. Boy, stacks up a lot of titles for this evil being. According to verse 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. That last phrase means that when Satan was hurled to the earth, he comes to us in great wrath. And he's working very speedily because his time is short. That's how we started, right? Satan is real. He's real. Verse 13, and when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. Who's that? Israel. That's Israel. Because Genesis 3 Talks about the curse and how Satan will, will try to crush Israel, the woman, the seed. He, he wants to do everything he can to destroy the people of God. And we've been grafted in. And so he wants to destroy us as well. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. And you know, of course, that that Israel was delivered from Egyptian bondage and they spent time, of course, in the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman. In other words, he's still after her to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This is... This is diabolical, and it's real, and he pelts us with these flaming darts every day, 
And he accuses us before the brethren. He accuses us as the brethren every day and every night of our lives. And he's done it from the beginning. And even here in Psalm 70, verses 2 and 3, David says, deal with him, Lord. Let him be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. You say, well, is he talking about Satan there? No, he's talking about his human enemies. But who always energizes the human enemies? Satan himself. They're they're not just simply and only doing this on their own. They're being energized by Satan himself. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my herd. And let them turn back because of their shame who says, aha, aha, we got you now. This is a satanically energized attack on the seed of the woman. And so David prays, God, deal with them. Destroy them. This is your people. You have a covenant You love your people, steadfast love forever and ever. Keep your promises. And and he does. And he loves us. And he takes care of us and he protects us. You say, does he love us? Yes, look at Romans 8. You You know I was going there. Romans 8, yes, he loves us. Oh, he loves us. And he wants us to be victims victorious, and we will. But it's a battle. It's a battle. Look at verse 26, and I start there because it speaks of prayer, and that's what we're talking about in the psalm. David's praying, and here's our prayer. Likewise, Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We know we're weak. We know he's stronger. We know he's more powerful. We know he's more cunning. And so we need the Spirit of God to help us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself, the very Holy Spirit of God himself, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What a marvelous prayer partner we have. The Holy Spirit of God who's interceding for us even when we don't have the words for it. And he who searches hearts, verse 27, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is praying the will of the Father for us. And if you jump down to verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? All of these things, what things? The fact that we've been predestined, we've been foreknown, we've been predestined, We've been called, we've been justified, we've been glorified according to the promises of God. It will come to pass, it is coming to pass, and if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? I tell you who's bringing charges against God's elect, Satan! The book of Revelation tells us, right? Revelation 12. It says he's bringing his accusations against brothers and sisters day and night. He's constantly bringing accusations against God's elect. But notice what Paul says. It is God who justifies. It is God who declares them not guilty. 
who, who is to condemn? Satan condemns. But Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And there's another prayer partner, none other than the Son of God. So we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the Son of God praying, interceding for us the will according to God the Father. And do you not claim this as I do, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's right out of the Psalms, isn't it? Psalm 44, 22, yes, yes. No, in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We will conquer and Satan's assaults and his temptations and his schemes and his designs and his accusations and his condemnations will not, in fact, separate us from the love of God in Christ. We're conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So come what may, come what accusations, condemnations from Satan himself The prayer request from David in Psalm 70 is, deal with them. Even when they are in the midst of saying, aha, aha, we've got him now. And that's what you and I as Christians say. We can't be separated from the love of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We pray the same kind of imprecatory psalms, just like David did. What is an imprecatory psalm? The word imprecatory is just a big word that means curse. Pray a curse. That's not inappropriate. You might think so, but it isn't. Curse Satan. Curse him who hates God and you. God, deal with him. This is a, this is a prayer that we ought to pray often. Now, we're not the, like the prosperity gospelers who talk about Satan more than they talk about Christ more than they talk about God's victory through Christ. We're not looking for the devil around every single corner. Oh, he's there. But we're saying he's more cunning than we are. He's more formidable than we are. So we make an appeal not directly to him, but to our God to deal with him. And we do. This is a great prayer request. You ought to look at Psalm 70. It's only five verses and say, verses 2 and 3, call upon me to pray curses upon Satan and his hosts so that God's people will be victorious and that Satan will be ultimately vanquished and every single person he uses in his domain. Here's another prayer request. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 70. Here's a prayer request. What, what does this prayer request say? Verse 4. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Here's the prayer request. For God to be seen as the great Lord God of the world. 
That's our prayer request. Well, you say, he, he already is the Lord God of this world. Yeah, we'll pray that it would be manifest around the whole world. That's what you pray. We know he's the, the God of this world, capital G, and Satan is the God of this world, small g, right? Paul says that. But we know this. We are praying to the God of this world, the Lord God, the great God. And we say, manifest that greatness throughout the whole earth. That's a prayer. God, manifest your greatness throughout the whole world. And I cannot miss, can you, verse 3, there's something that God's detractors are saying. Aha, aha. But there's something that believers say, verse 4. And what do we say evermore? God is great. They're saying, aha, aha, we've got you now. And we say in response, aha, aha, God is great. God is my deliverer. God is the one in whom I rejoice. May all who seek you, verse 4, rejoice and be glad in you, I should say, because he's great. May those who love your salvation, I love his salvation. I love his salvation of my soul. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I love his deliverance of my soul from Satan and death. And so therefore I say, God is great. Do you know what the number one declaration of Muslims is? What is it? Allah is great. No, Yahweh is great. And that's what David's praying. That the whole earth would be filled with the glory of God and that they would see his greatness. And that the Lord God would see that manifest greatness throughout all the world. You say, well, if, if God's in control of Satan and if he can't do anything but that which God allows him to do, then I'll let God deal with him through my prayers. And so what else do I have to contend with? And the answer is the allurements of the world. The allurements of the world. Maybe Satan's not around you and me. Maybe he's not even around here tonight. I hope not. Maybe he's somewhere else. You know, he's not omnipresent. So maybe he's in some hot place somewhere. Phoenix, Tucson, somewhere. I don't know. But I do know this. Even if Satan's not around directly tempting me or his hosts tempting me, I know what is tempting me, and that's the allurements of the world. Yes. So turn in your Bibles to 1 John 2. 1 John 2. If you want to pray that God would be seen as the great Lord God of the whole earth, the whole world, then we've got to get the world out of the church. 1 John chapter 2. If in fact Satan is only doing what God is allowing him to do, 
then perhaps he's being dealt with right now by God, but also he is influencing the world to allure us to its passions. Look at 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. You probably know it well. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here's this um, thrice stated idea that goes all the way back to the Genesis account, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Where is that in Genesis? It's in the very garden itself because when Eve saw that the fruit was what? Good for food, a delight to the eyes, and was desirable to make men wise. Those are those three. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, which means that what Satan is doing through the world's allurements is nothing new. It's all the way back in the garden itself. And he continues to do it, and people continually fall for it, even at times, sometimes ourselves. But he says... Does the Apostle John, these desires of the flesh, these desires of the eyes, the pride of life or the boastfulness of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides how long? Forever. So here's the world. They just continually pelt us with its desires, their desires, the desires for our flesh, the desires that make things look good to our eyes and to appeal to our fleshly pride, but it's not from the Father, it's from the world. So how do we deal with it? Well, we pray. And we pray that God, the Lord God, would manifest His glory throughout the whole world so that the world holds nothing out for us that we find temptable. And you know how we do that? Well, we don't just say no to the world. I wish it were that easy. But we also say what 1 John chapter 5 says. Same author, same book, and here's what he says about the world. Look at the end of verse 4 of 1 John 5. Here's what he says, and this Apostle John speaking, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's how you battle the world. Faith. Faith. We don't talk enough about faith. We don't center our lives enough regarding the idea of faith. Faith. Remember Martin Luther's great psalm song of Psalm 46? We've got an ancient foe. But it's our faith that overcomes such an ancient foe. That's actually how you say no to the allurements of the world by an ever-increasing faith. And what is that faith? It's a faith that believes, like it's said about Joseph in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, 
It's that faith like Moses who saw the passing pleasures of sin but said, I shall not respond to those because I'd rather experience the reproaches of my brothers in Israel. This is, this is how you do it. This is, this is how you see God's lordship all over the world manifested in reality. You pray and you ask God for greater faith and you grow in that faith. Faith is like a muscle and it has to be exercised in order to grow. And when it grows, you find the allurements of the world less and less sightly. You see them as ugly. You see them as not allurements, but things to run away from at a moment's notice. Here's another prayer of David. Look at the first part of verse 5. This is the fourth of our five prayer requests. Here's what he prays. Look at the first part of verse 5. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You know, that's exactly what you ought to say. You know, when, you're, when your faith is increasing, when your faith is enlarging, you can, be, you can be so excited and then fall right back into the pride trap because your faith is growing. You can be proud of the fact that your faith is growing and then take a couple of steps backwards. And I suspect that David, who's praying these august prayers, I mean, he is battling, and he's battling with intense prayer, and he's asking for God to deliver him, and he's asking for God to subvert his adversaries, and he's rejoicing and being glad in God's loving salvation, and he's saying, God is great! And his faith is growing, and it's enlivened, and it's enlarging, and David has to take a step back and he has to say something like this, oh yeah, I've got to remind myself I'm poor and needy. I have to have a realistic view of this battle that I'm in. I have to, I have to do what, what Paul does. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I have to do what Paul does. I have to I have to understand the reality of what's going on in my spiritual condition. And what does Paul do? He sees all the assaults of Satan. He sees all of these assaults from the world. And he realizes that he's nothing without the strength of Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. Paul says... So, to keep me from becoming, what does your Bible say? Conceited, or proud, or arrogant, or boasting. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, or proud, or arrogant, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. He was being given revelations from Jesus Christ himself, a personal presence with Christ Christ was revealing things to him. 
In fact, Paul says in the earlier part of this chapter, verse 12, I know a man, verse 2, in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. I really had these revelations. I really had them. And they were so stupendous, and they were so phenomenal, that I even have to talk about myself in the third person. Well, there was this man. And whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But I know this, there were these surpassing revelations that were being given to this man. And if anybody were to be boasting, it would be that guy. But I'm telling you that in order for me not to be a conceited boaster because of these surpassing revelations, the greatness of them, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Now that is most interesting. And I say it's most interesting because if Satan cannot completely destroy us, though he's working night and day to do it, and if the world and its allurements can't get at us so effectively that we are not only ineffective as Christians but virtually destroyed as Christians, if those things can't happen then what Satan and the world will do is attempt to allow us this battle from within to be so conceited that we are lost in ourselves and not praising and honoring God. Look at what he says in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, this messenger of Satan. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak then I am strong. So what do you do? You're like Paul. You're like David. And you say... Look, even even if I'm king of Israel, and even if I have all of my battle armament on, and even if I'm praying to God and he's answering my prayers, one thing I can't do as king is to be proud of it. And Paul says, I've received these massive revelations. I've received these, these personal visitations from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And yet, I'm poor and needy, I'm weak, so that Christ may be exalted in me. No wonder he prays about his poor and needy condition, does David. No wonder Paul says, therefore I'm content. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. No wonder Paul says about himself in Romans 7, I am battling this remaining sin in my life every single day of my life. And then he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives me the victory. 
Is that what you pray for? You pray for the victory of your faith to overcome the world? Well, one of the ways you do it is you keep your feet firmly planted on the ground and you say about yourself every day of your life, I am poor and needy. You don't want to you want to say like the king of Israel, and you don't want to say like Paul, look, I got all these revelations. Aren't I, aren't I the greatest? I'm the king of Israel. And David did it. His, his, his men went out to battle, and David saw Bathsheba, and he wanted her, and he didn't have his spiritual armor on, did he? He got proud. He got arrogant. And he lost a huge, huge, precious thing, that baby boy. So, this is a massively important prayer request. And what David says in Psalm 70 is, I'm poor and needy, hasten to me, O God. Hasten to me. Give me grace that is sufficient for my weakness, my poor and needy condition. Last prayer. Look at the end of verse 5. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord. O Yahweh, do not delay. What's his prayer request? For God to speedily assist and deliver David and all of us as we call out to him. That's our prayer request. Lord, come to me speedily. Assist me, help me, deliver me. And all of us who are your people, do not delay. Notice what he calls God, my help, my deliverer, my salvation. That's that's his prayer. He asks for help. He asks for deliverance. We're battling against Satan and the world and our own internal fleshiness. And we ask our helper and our deliverer to come to our aid. And you don't just say, come whenever you want. We cry out, we plead, come now. Help me now. Do not delay. So I ask us, ask all of us, I ask myself, how are we doing in the spiritual battle against our enemies? For David, physical enemies... Spiritual enemies, we don't have the physical enemies, most of us, if not all of us. We don't, we don't have anybody nipping at our heels. We don't have anybody with a machete. We don't have anybody who's wanting to destroy us, and you can see the enemy, and he's right there, and he has his weapon. Ours are those dastardly spiritual foes in the heavenlies, the principalities, the rulers, the powers, the spiritual foes that are in the darkness, but they're no less real. And here's what we pray. Be my help. Be my deliverer. And oh, Yahweh, don't delay. Come to me. Satan, the world, my own remaining sin, May I pray fervently, like King David, to our God for the help that we so desperately need. Is that your prayer? Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, this is, this is our need. 
This is our desire to not allow Satan to gain a foothold in our life, to not succumb to the allurements of the world, to run to you to ask you for help when my own remaining sin is ever before me and I say like Paul in Romans 7, the things that I don't want to do, I do and the things I don't want to do, I, I do them. The things I hate, I find myself doing. The things that I love, I find myself not doing. Lord, help me. Deliver me. Help me with my remaining sin. Allow me not to be allured by the temptations of the world. And please, Heavenly Father, take Satan and his hosts and cause your greatness to be manifested throughout the whole earth. May you vanquish this arch enemy of our souls. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Would it not be so glorious for Jesus to come back for us even tonight? Father, we pray that you would grant us like what David says here in Psalm 70, a very sure deliverance. And we would be saying, about you, our God, that you are great. May we think about how great you are when those temptations are nearest to us, whether from Satan or the world or from our own sin. May we think of your greatness in the midst of our poor and needy weaknesses. And may you answer our prayers for Jesus Christ, for his sake, for his love, for his grace, for his power is perfected in our weakness. May we be what you've fashioned us to be each and every day, conforming us more and more into the image of your dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.